0: This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me on today. And as always, welcome to those of you who are listening to the podcast for the first time. We're going to dive in today because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, I want to piggyback a little bit on what we talked about last week, where last week we talked about a holistic view of UX. It goes without saying that there is a, a pretty broad group of methods, methodologies, deliverables, artifacts. There are a lot of, of, of strategy-oriented elements. There are a lot of things that we need to do, a lot of things that as we progress, I mean, from the time that we're entry-level people to the time that we're seniors, we're leads, we're managers, there are a lot of things that we do, a lot, a lot of growth that we experience, a lot of techniques Techniques is a good word. <laughs> I think I'm glad we used that one. That, that, that really uh, fits the bill there. However, there are other elements. There are other things that come into play when you're looking at UX that we need to be aware of, other things that we need to grow in, other skills and traits. That that we need to do. I mean, that's why we call this the world of UX. That's the name of the podcast, because we're not just talking about all of those techniques. We're not just talking about those things and talked about recently on on social media. There is no shortage of coverage of those things. And a lot of people are out there covering it and a lot of people are doing a slam bang job of it. They're, They're doing great in covering those things. I can cover those things. people ask me about it. I mentioned that last week. Why don't you cover that stuff more? Well, it depends on where I am, and it depends on what the need is. And while there is no shortage of coverage of those techniques, there is an extreme dearth. There is an extreme shortage of covering all of these other things that make up that holistic view of UX. There, there is some coverage on the soft skills. There is some coverage on advancing your careers and things you need to do from an educational standpoint. And we're going to be talking about that in the not too distant future. We're starting to line up guests to come in and talk to you about what they're doing to help in the educational world when it comes to UX. And some people are doing some great, some, some, some admirable work in that arena. But there's a whole lot of stuff that's in UX, a lot of things that are that are connected to what we do a lot of things we're dependent upon for our success that are getting little to no coverage on podcasts in blog posts in 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 conferences a lot of conferences they don't even want you to come in and talk about that stuff the vast majority of time they want to hear somebody talk about the techniques a lot of people get offended when you speak about anything from an authoritative standpoint, so they just like people to glaze over certain topics. And and those types of approaches don't take place without consequence. Um, I'm out here talking about these types of things, what we talked about last week, the holistic view of, of UX and recapping that, is looking at all of these different things that, that make up what make us who we are, and things that we need to do in order to really thrive and to bring value and to represent the discipline and to manage UX maturity levels. That's another topic doesn't get much coverage, and we've talked about that already on the podcast, and it'll come up again from time to time. We're going to piggyback today, and we're going to build on that holistic view of UX, I want to talk to you about a little bit more from a philosophical standpoint, and that's the part of UX that gets overlooked a lot of times. Uh, People don't want to hear about it, or they're just not interested, or they get confused by it, and then they go back to work, and that very thing that they didn't want to hear about is the thing that comes up and bites them in the rear. So for that reason, and because I'm all about helping people be better, I'm all about helping people reach their full potential. I'm all about having someone look at that area of their of their UX walk of that of their UX development that they're not paying any attention to that if they would give it some time and if they would they would give it some attention it would actually expand their horizons and help them to be better UX professionals because again as I said last week if you're just looking at the techniques if you're just looking at the the artifacts, if you're just looking at the deliverables and the methods and the methodologies and all these other things go unattended, you're going to eventually fall short, especially when it comes to helping people to understand the value that UX brings. There's always going to be this other thing that comes up that somebody is interested in and, and they're going to come at you from a from a sort of a different angle and because you didn't consider that angle, you'll be sitting there with a deer in the headlights. Look, so that's what we do. That That's what this podcast is about. And that's what we're about to do to you again today. The topic that we're going to build on and piggybacking on last week, pretty long summary, but I think we need it and everybody didn't hear last week. So we want to cover that and we want to refresh memories of those who did listen last week. Today, we want to talk to you about this philosophy that that I develop associated with with a sound UX practice and I refer to this and this is the topic for the day the art of constructive losing some people might get it right up front and hearing that but of course we're going to take the time that we have remaining today to explain this to you more fully what do I mean by the art of constructive losing. Picture, if you will, and it doesn't matter what level of seniority, because this happens to all of us. You are working on a project. You are in the discovery phase of that project. And some people have already presented some ideas, some things that you could potentially use, some direction you can possibly in. You're not necessarily solutioning, but you are in a position where you're trying to to help to to solidify your strategy and validate some things. So you're conducting research. Your team's conducting research and you're you're coming up with some answers and you've you've done quite a bit of research. You've conducted some remote usability testing. You've so you've done some interviews, you've done some ethnographic work, you've performed a few contextual inquiries. You've even AB tested some of the designs to just to help clarify which 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 part of this design actually works better, which one is more likely to convert and help you to to meet the needs associated with the KPIs that your that your project team has relayed to you. So you you've done all of this great research and you come to the team and you present all of your findings. You give your recommendations, you've analyzed the data, you you synthesize the data, and you have a sound direction, and you are beyond the shadow of a doubt, are convinced that what you're presenting in your recommendations is the way to go. You've advocated for the users, you're mindful of the business, you've been informed about the constraints, you are solid. You are rock solid and you are ready to go. Yay, you. And then after you present all that information, the hippo or people who are hippo influenced. And for those who forgot what that means, that's an acronym that means the highest paid person's opinion. The highest paid person's opinion is known by some. And a lot of times the people who are influenced and they have the bias that is in play because of the hippo influence influence they really don't care about all the work you've done. They don't care how sound your research is. They don't care how much experience you have. They don't care how much of an, exper- uh, of an expert you are. The hippo said X, Y, and Z. And though you said X, Y, and M, they don't care anything about M. And you understand that if you go in the direction of M, Your research has already proven, and if you go in that direction, your team is going to suffer some losses. The business is going to suffer some losses, but they just don't care. The hippo likes M, and because the, the highest paid person likes M, no matter what that research says, we're going to go with M. As a matter of fact, you know what? x and y we don't really care about that too much either how about we just do this other little thing over here and next thing you know they start bringing in other ideas and and they start to commandeer the user experience and the next thing you know all of your research is just it's toast people who are under the sound of my voice who've been doing ux for any length of time know that this is all too common of a scenario it is something that happens a great deal It's something that we cannot help. It does not matter how much research you have done. It does not matter the degree of excellence you have been operating in. When people start getting ideas and a lot of people think they're designers and it's just a fact of it, you know, and we're not demonizing anyone because they do that. We know people are going to do that and that's just part of what we have to manage as user experience professionals. But what I'm getting at is that person that did all the research when the meeting is over and you find out that your research actually meant pretty much nothing. You, you end up, you go for a walk, you might talk to some other team members and they are experiencing the same exact thing on their project and you're all trying to to reconcile, you're all trying to come to a, an understanding how in the world does this ha, did this happen and what should we do? Going forward, man, and this isn't the first time that it happened. So what, what do we do? How do we get better going forward? And this is where I want to introduce to you this concept of the art of constructive losing. It is a known fact that user experience professionals are not heard 100% of the time. If you're in an environment where you get heard 60% of the time, you're anything that and above, that means that your environment has a pretty good UX maturity level. It means that the, the C-level people, the mid-level managers... Value UX and what you bring to the table. And they're, they're looking to hear what you have to say and take that into serious consideration as they make decisions. Because we, as the UX people, we do not own, we do not control the decision making. We are influencers. That's why it's good to have a little sales in your blood, so to speak. Because we spend time selling our recommendations to stakeholders on a regular basis. And nobody has to listen to you at face value at all. If you think that people have to listen to you, that's something that's usually reserved for when we're pretty young in the discipline and and we're sort of naive, really. And we think that everybody's going to listen to us and they can't wait to hear what the UX person has got to say and things of that nature. That's it's not how things work. That's I was like that early in my career as well. And I had to learn the hard way. Then that's where this philosophy that I'm that I'm going to explain to you comes into play. I learned that while you you don't get heard all the time, I learned that because of that, that, that that's not a reason to throw up your hands. It's not a reason to walk away from the profession. It's not a reason to be frustrated. It is what it is. It it is how things go. I'll never forget, I believe I mentioned this on another episode, that one of, I feel one of the best bosses I ever had told me something once and he made a statement where I was getting frustrated because of how people were responding to the work that we were doing and bending over backwards, tying ourselves in knots and doing all types of things only to be discounted and and to be disavowed and ignored. He said, you know, you have to get used to the fact that when you're operating in UX, you need to understand there's going to be a degree of healthy friction, is what he called it. And, and that resonated with me tremendously. There's going to be friction, there's going to be frustration, and and so when people don't listen to you, or some people will argue you down sometimes, and you didn't start an argument, they just don't like what you said for whatever the reason might be, and a lot of times people are operating under some type of a bias, and that's where it comes from. And that's fine too. Not demonizing those people either. We're just calling it what it is. And it is what it is. I learned that those things are not deal breakers. Those things will happen. And it's better to have a strategy to, to respond to these things. And that's where the art of constructing constructive losing comes from. So consider this. If you understand, you come to grips with the fact that as a UX professional, you do not walk into the meeting and people are automatically going to just, here comes a UX person, let's roll out the red carpet, let's listen to everything they say. That's simply not realistic at all. As a matter of fact, the the UX person is always the baby in the room, the discipline of UX, every other discipline that's in a room where you have a team that's collaborating, and you have anywhere from five to 15 disciplines represented in that room. And when that happens, nobody is younger than UX, whether it's quality assurance, project management, development, or whatever it is, scrum masters, whatever it is. UX is always the baby. It's, and not only is it the baby, and by that, we're saying that it is the youngest, but it all is also the least understood, and nobody really wants to take orders from the baby. Nobody wants to let the baby call the shots. We may not like it, but that's the reality of it. And for that reason, instead of assuming that we're going to be heard and assuming that we're going to be valued, and getting, uh, actually suffering from Ikea effect bias a little bit because we we know what UX is, we know the value that we bring to the table, we want others to have that same value, and sometimes we're taken aback when someone doesn't respond the way that we think they should respond based on what we know, but that's Ikea bias effect bias, folks, because that's what we did, so we placed this tremendous value on it, and truth is, it is valuable. But it's not valuable to them yet all the time. And so if we come to grips with that and realize, instead of assuming that people will value us, how about we, and this is the foundation of, of this philosophy, realize that we have to earn, we need to earn trust, we need to earn respect, and we need to earn a seat at the table. We need to earn the desire to be heard. We need we need for people to be convinced that what we bring, what we contribute, is something that is that can easily make or break the project. And by that, it'll make it if we're heard, and we'll break it if it's not, if we're not heard. When it take, but it takes a while for people to reach that state of mind. So enter the art of constructive losing. If you know you're not going to be heard, and here's the second part, you have to labor to get that trust, that respect, that seat at the table, that, that, that common valuation of the work that you're doing as a UX professional. It is going to take time to get there. So if you already know, basically what the potential is of being heard, and you know that the chances are low or lower, the 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 less of UX maturity you have, the less likely you are to be heard. The more UX maturity you have, the more you're likely to be heard. So you already know, we all know, wherever we work today, we know what the potential is. So if you know that the potential is low, what you have to make sure that you overcome first Make sure that just because I'm not going to be heard does not mean I'm not going to put my best foot forward. So we have to be committed to excellence. Talked about that when we talked about the UX cycle of excellence. We must be committed to excellence. No matter whether we're heard or not, we need to make sure that we're continuing to advocate for users. Whether we are heard or not. We need to make sure that we are understanding what the business needs are. We're accounting for the business needs and we're reflecting that in our work and our recommendations. We're going to have to throw out the fact that we're not going to be heard. Basically, you're going to have to dismiss that because you don't want your awareness of whether or not you're going to be heard. Mostly it's the not you don't, you don't need your awareness of not being heard, your awareness of being disavowed by certain stakeholders and by certain people to have an influence upon your commitment to excellence. So how about we just forget that? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. No matter what, whether they're going to hear you or whether they're not going to hear you, how should that influence what you do and the degree of excellence associated with what you do? It should not. So, all we want to focus on is doing the right thing, representing expert voice, advocating for the users, being our absolute best as user experience professionals. So now, that is the key piece. That's the thing that needs to be in place. So you go into a meeting. You've let's take the scenario we talked about earlier. You go into the next meeting. You you did everything right in the first meeting, and they blew you off, and they ran off, and they commandeered the design, and. They rolled out the, the, the new design, the new solution. And things that you said, some people noticed that you were right. It was important. They should have listened. So you go into the next project. And a handful of people start to pay a little bit more attention to you. But for the most part, people are still just as hostile and don't want to pay attention. They still commandeer the design. And you feel like, man, what in the world am I, why am I even here? You feel like that when you come out in that scenario. So, maybe a couple people listened to you, and then they struggled again. They had some degree of success, but a lot of failure. And if they had listened to you, they would have done a lot better. You come into the next project, and the same thing happens. But you start to make baby steps. You start to impact people and and the value placed on UX, because as you continue to, to represent UX properly, and you continue to demonstrate excellence, even though nobody's paying attention to you, what we don't realize in the midst of that type of a scenario or ongoing scenario is that people are starting to come around. They don't necessarily tell you that they are, but they are four, five, six projects down the road, seven projects down the road. Sometimes it might take 10 projects down the road. You have been making incremental improvement, incremental gains in getting wins for UX, even though it might not be very demonstrative in the volume that it's happening. You keep making impact. This is what constructive losing is, that no matter How people are responding, no matter who's listening, no matter how they demonstrate it, no matter how broadly they demonstrate whether or not they value what I'm saying, we're making progress. Eventually, those people wake up. Eventually, those people realize, you know, if we had done what Julie said in these five projects, do you realize how much more And we would have benefited. and This really comes in handy when you start to speak exec, when you start to speak their language, they start to realize if we had followed those guidelines, we would have really nailed our our KPIs. And not only would we have nailed our KPIs, we would have performed at at 150% clip instead of an 80% clip. We would have almost doubled our efficiency had we embraced those UX recommendations. So folks as we wrap up the art of constructive losing is about maintaining excellence and not allowing the attitude that people have toward UX to determine how much you are, you are engaging and and how much you are working to contribute to your initiatives. And eventually they come around and the next thing, you know, you've got a seat at the table. I used this before to gain a seat at the table with engineers, folks, it works but you got to be excellent you got to be sold out you've got to be committed don't let anything stop you keep going forward you will eventually win but you win because you were sound in being a constructive loser losing with a plan that eventually ends up flipping and you end up impacting everybody and you end up becoming the champion or I should say, everybody sees you as the champion that you know you are. As mentioned, it takes information like this to help help us have the nice solid frame of mind to excel in UX. It's not enough to know all the methods, methodologies, folks, the techniques. I hope you embrace this today. I hope this this example uh, resonate it with you, uh, but that's all the time we have for today. Got to sign off. So this is your host of the world of UX, Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.